In July, we are continuing in our sermon series, Let Freedom Reign. Uh, this Tonight, we're going to hear from the Lord about the, the freedom that comes through forgiveness. So if you guys uh, can, we'd love for you to join us tonight at 6 p.m. for that message. But this morning, listen, at Page Heights, we always uh, want to be... Uh, effective in giving you something to take with you, right? We want you to uh, not only hear the word of God, but we want you to get to the parking lot and get home and, and to take with you this week a truth. So that's why our motto at Page Heights is there's one God and there's one word of God, and we want to be effective in delivering his word one truth at a time. It, this morning, our truth that we are uh, taking with us is that Jesus's victory over death, his resurrection, frees us from doubt. Jesus's victory over death, his resurrection, frees us from doubt. I'll tell you, there's not a better way to let freedom ring than, than freeing us from doubt. You know, you, you start thinking about what kind of doubt do we have in our lives you know, what, what does the word doubt mean? This week I was reading a devotion and the author titled the devotion From Faith to Faith. And as I read that, I was like, from faith to faith, you know, what exactly does that mean? Right, that's foreign to us, isn't it? It's like when you, when you hear those words from faith to faith, it doesn't even sound right. And the reason is, listen, everybody in this room is the same. Not one of us is exempt from the truth. And the truth is that if we look back from today, if we're honest with ourselves, if we look backwards at our lives, we will see a pattern in our life that if, if you had a line graph and, and this line was faith, that when you look backwards in your life, that there's times in your life where faith was great, where faith was high, that you had a lot of faith, things were going good, you felt like you had the favor of the Lord in your life, that your faith was strong, and then there would be times, if we're honest, where, where we fell below that line of faith, that our faith was weak, that, that we felt like, felt like there was separation from God in our lives, right? That there's times where we had doubt. Right, There would be times of unbelief. Right, If we're honest this morning, we, we would say that that's true. That, that Listen, as this author was trying to convey in this message that I was reading this week, from faith to faith, look, she was trying to explain that it's possible in our lives to string together faith to faith to faith to faith and so on. Does that make sense? So, so listen, and, and y'all might say, look, Pastor, I hear what you're saying, but that seems like it's too far-fetched. Like, how, how, could you, how is that possible? And listen, that's the way the enemy works, isn't it? Look, the enemy wants us to believe that doubt is okay. He wants us to believe that it's normal, right? That, that we don't have, that, that unbelief is okay. But the truth is that in all circumstances that Jesus is our example. Right, if we look to Jesus, he shows us through his life that, listen, we don't doubt that we continue stringing faith together. Right, you, you look at, at Jesus' life, he didn't model doubt. He didn't model unbelief. He modeled faith to faith to faith 
to faith. I want us also to look at the, at, at the fact this morning that his, his victory over death, his resurrection, actually frees us from doubt as well. Just like his life models faith to faith, that, that his, his life models freedom from doubt, but also his resurrection does the same. If you brought a Bible, I'd love for you to turn this morning to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And we're going to consider starting in verse 50 down to verse 58. That's the end of chapter 15. Paul was writing this message to the church at Corinth. This is the first letter that he was writing, and he was telling them that he was in Ephesus, that he planned to come there, but he had heard that the church at Corinth had been having some arrogant boasting about their spiritual gift, gifts as well as he was further instructing them on some points of the gospel message, such as the resurrection. Right, he had gotten word that they were trying to omit portions of the gospel, which mainly was the resurrection. There were some in the church of Corinth who didn't believe in the resurrection at all. And Paul insisted that if there were no physical resurrection, right, if, if, if Jesus was not raised again, then of course we would not be raised again. And that humans would still be enslaved to sin. Further... Our departed loved ones who we thought were in heaven would be lost. Right? He's saying that, 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 listen, the resurrection is important. And as a matter of fact, the gospel is not the gospel without it. That, we're not, that we would still be enslaved to sin if it was not for the resurrection. I want to read uh, verses fi- uh, in chapter 15, verses 50 through 58. If you would stand with me in the honor of God's word. It says, what I am saying, brothers and sisters, is this. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor can corruption inherit incorruption. Listen, I am telling you a mystery. We will not fall asleep. I'm sorry. We will not all fall asleep, but we will all be changed in the moment of an eye. In the, or in, in a moment, in the twinkle of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we will be changed. For this corruptible body must be clothed with incorruptibility, and this mortal body must be clothed with, clothed with immortality. When this corruptible body is clothed with incorruptibility and this mortal body is clothed with immortality... Then the saying that is written will take place. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where death is your victory? Where death is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, be steadfast immovable, always excelling in the Lord's work because you know that your Lord, your labor in the Lord is not in vain. 
You may be seated. So Paul's reminding us that, that Jesus is, uh, has been raised, that it has, it has profound implications on how Christians are to think and live. He's trying to remind the people of, of the church at Corinth that, the, that, the, that Jesus' victory over death frees us from doubt. Christ's resurrection, I want to give us three ways, three reasons that, that his victory, his resurrection frees us from doubt. The first way is that Christ's resurrection accomplishes what physical effort could never do. If you look at the very first verse that we read this morning in verse 50, Paul says, what I am saying, brothers and sisters, is this. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor can corruption inherit incorruption. See, the, the people at Corinth had gotten away from the gospel. They, they had started leaning towards the, a non-biblical reasoning that when we go to heaven, that we'll just be floating around, right? That we will be just spirits in heaven, right? But just like Jesus models for us here on earth, the way that we are to live, the way that we string faith to faith to faith. But listen, when Jesus died, and, and listen, he was raised again on the third day, he wasn't resuscitated, he was resurrected, right? He had a glorified body. And listen, he modeled life for us, but he also modeled death for us. You see it? What, what, he, what he's trying to say in this verse right here is that I want us not to miss the one word, the key word. If you, if you write in your Bible, I want you to underline the word inherit. He's saying that flesh and blood cannot inherit. Listen, in, in, when you inherit something, it's a gift. And the, the gift is eternal life. It, listen, our, our flesh and blood... Our bodies, and he does a good job in describing it in the words past it. He says, our, nor can corruption inherit incorruption. He's saying that our bodies are corrupt. What does he mean by that? It means that our bodies are prone to sin. That our bodies are corrupted. So therefore, we, we, these bodies can't go to heaven. Right? He's saying that, that, it's, that you can't get away from the fact that we have a resurrected, we're going to have a, a glorified body just like Jesus ha had. And I don't know about y'all, but having a body that, is, that, has, that inherits incorruption sounds pretty good. As a matter of fact, that gift that we receive is very well set up by Paul. If you look back just a few verses in verses 47 48 and 49, he does a great way of illustrating to us the plan of salvation. He says the first man, this is verse 47, was from the earth, a man of dust. He's talking about Adam. The second man is from heaven. He's talking about Jesus. He says, like the man of dust, those who are of the dust... So are those who are of the dust. Like the man of heaven, so are those who are of heaven. And just as we have been born with the image of the man of dust, we will also bear the image of the man of heaven. It's a little bit hard to understand, but it's actually very simple. What he's saying is that we're born with these corrupt bodies, 
right, that we are born and made of the dust, the things of the earth, just like Adam. But listen, when we go to heaven, it says the people of heaven are like, the, are like Jesus himself, the man of heaven, that whenever we put our faith in him, that we will have a different body, that our bodies won't be the same anymore. Right, he's saying that it was always God's plan that by, listen to this, by man we were sinful, but it was God's plan that also by man that we were freed from sin. Do you see it? He, he's showing us that, but listen, he does a, he does a great uh, job as well. If you look back a few verses, and if this don't get you fired up, then your wood's all wet, of telling us the difference of our bodies now and our bodies then. Or what they will be. Look at verse 42. He says, so it is with the resurrection of the dead. Right? Us when we have our glorified bodies. He says, sown in corruption, raised in incorruption. Sown in dishonor, raised in glory. Sown in weakness, raised in power. Sown a natural body, raised in a spiritual body. So if there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. Do you see it? What he's trying to tell us is that, listen, Christ's resurrection accomplishes what physical efforts could never do. That our old bodies, the ones that we have been given here on earth, are, are sown with corruption and dishonor and weakness. And we're naturally sinful. You see it? But he's saying that, that if that is the body that we're given, just like Adam, that just like Jesus in the resurrected body, whenever those people saw him, a, a, when he was resurrected in his glorified body, that we too will have the body that is, that is in corruption, that we are not corrupted any longer, that we will be sown in glory, that we will then have power and we will then have a spiritual body. We must put our faith in Jesus to inherit that gift. The new covenant tells us that. The number two reason, the number two way that Christ's resurrection frees us from doubt is that his, his resurrection is life-changing in ways that human effort could never be. His resurrection is life-changing in ways that human effort could never be. In other words, it frees us from doubt now, here, today. Look at verses 40, or I'm sorry, 54 and 55. He says, when this corruptible body is clothed with incorruptibility and this mortal body is clothed with immortality, then the saying that is written will take place. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where death is your victory, where death is your sting. Paul went on to say that we Christians will be transformed when Christ returns to consummate his kingdom. The perishable bodies that believers possess now in the fallen world will be transformed to be like Jesus' glorified, resurrected body. That's why Paul is 
insisting and rejecting the Corinthians' false belief that, that there would be no bodily resurrection. Christ had gone ahead of us in experiencing death and raising from the grave. He serves as a model for what will happen to all who are found in him. I'm going to say that one more time. That Jesus modeled for us in life, but Jesus also models for us in death. He serves as a model for what, all, for what will happen to all who are found in him. You know, it's almost like he's mocking death. You know, he quotes from Isaiah 25, 8 and Hosea 13, 14. And he says, death has been swallowed up in victory. Where death is your victory where death is your sting. You might say, Pastor, I heard you say a minute ago, it changes the way that, that changes, it's life-changing in ways that human effort could never be. How is that? And I'm, I'm, you know, I'm here to tell you that, that it frees us from doubt, but it also changes a lot of the ways that we live. Last Sunday night, we were learning about it changes the way we rest. That if we understand that, that, listen, Jesus is our example, that, he, that he, he lives by faith his entire life, but also his resurrected body shows us the way that we will be resurrected as well, that we will have glorified bodies, it changes the way we rest. As a matter of fact, when we believe, when, when we don't have doubt, when we live in faith, we understand that our, our lives are like the end of my finger. And eternity goes around this room over and over and over. That, that, listen, we don't have a finish line on our lives, right? It changes the way we live. It changes the way we rest. I was preaching last Sunday evening on, on uh, the Sabbath and how he demands us to rest. And the Israelites, they... Listen, if anybody should know, the Israelites should have known. The Israelites saw all that God did every day, the manna that he gave them, the water, all, all the uh, providential uh, uh, things, the way he provided for them. But they, they chose in the Ten Commandments, it told them to rest, and they chose not to rest. Listen, when we rest, it tells the Lord, listen, God, I know that everything that I've ever had and everything that I ever will have, Everything that I currently have is yours. Amen. Right? That, that, that God, I know that you're in charge of everything I have. I know that you uh, are in control. But when I don't rest, it says that I'm in control. But when I do rest, it says that he's in control. And that's the reason he's, he demands us to have the Sabbath. And we were, we were learning about that, but it's life-changing. When we have the right view of our lives and we have the right view of our deaths, then it changes the way we rest. The second thing is it chooses the way, I mean, it changes the way that we view death. You know, it's, it says it very clearly in verses 54 and 55 that death has lost its sting. We had an illustration last Sunday night as well about that. 
about a, a young man who was riding in the car with his dad and 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 a bee flies in and the young boy starts screaming and yelling in the back of the car because the bee's flying around, the bee's flying around. And that man, he reaches up and he grabs that bee and he holds it in his hand and he holds it and he holds it and he holds it as he's driving down the road. And listen, just a few minutes later, he opens his hand and he lets that bee go and then his son immediately starts crying again. And he looks back in the car and he tells his son, he says, son, you don't have to cry anymore. Here's the stinger right here. All that bee can do is fly around and make noise. And that's the same thing that Jesus did on the cross. He took the, he took the sting of death. Look, and, and we no longer have to be worried about it. It can fly around and it can make a lot of noise, but we can live differently. It changes the way his resurrection is life-changing and changes the way that we look at the afterlife. Just like the, the church at Corinth Sometimes, you know, we lose sight of that. That's the reason that Paul was writing them in most, most of the book of 1 Corinthians. But his main idea is that there is no gospel without the resurrection. It changes the way that we view the afterlife. Another way that it changes the way we live is we have hope. You know, we no longer have to put our hope in things of this world. So many times in life, we are bound to all the things that, that the enemy says that we have to do. But our hope is not here. We have a different view on life. We have a different view on the afterlife. Therefore, our, our things that we value are not the same. Just like Jesus would say, my kingdom is not here. This is not my home. It removes the doubt in our lives. The third point for the way that Jesus' victory over death, his resurrection frees us from doubt is that his resurrection has a permanence that no prize of this world can possibly equal. Jesus' resurrection has a permanence that no prize of this world can possibly equal. Look back in your Bible at, at uh, verse 1 in chapter 15. In the very beginning of, the, of this chapter... Paul gives an account and he starts the chapter 15 and he says, now I want to make clear for you, brothers and sisters, the gospel I preach to you, which you received on which you have taken your stand and by which you are being saved. If you hold on to the message I preach to you, unless you believed in vain, for I passed on to you. As most important, what I received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried and he was raised on the third day, and that according, according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, and then he appeared to over 500 brothers and sisters at one time. Most of them are still alive, but some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James. Then to all the apostles, 
And last of all, as to the one born at the wrong time, he also appeared to me. For I am the least of the apostles, not worthy of being called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. You see, Jesus really did defeat death by dying on the cross and rising again, but his victory has not yet been consummated. The full consummation of Christ's victory over death will be realized when he comes again. You you may ask, how does Christ's victory impact Christians living in the present? The answer is in verses 56 and 58. The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, be steadfast, immovable, always excelling in the Lord's work, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Death is not the end for the one who has placed victory in Jesus as Savior and Lord. On the other side of that brief moment of death, there is a life which we will worship for eternity in the presence of God in the renewed heaven and earth. Christ's resurrection is multifaceted and precious. It's a precious reality that this generation needs to know. I think that Paul was very aware that it was important for them to understand that the resurrection was precious as well. And he wanted this generation of people to know, and it's important for us to know it as well. So how do we live in light of this amazing truth? The answer is in verse 58. If you look at verse 58, 1 Corinthians 15, 58 is, is... a great memory verse. If you don't have it memorized, uh, I would memorize it. It, it is uh, profound, and, and it tells us exactly how we should live in the light of the amazing truth that Jesus was resurrected from the dead. He says, Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, be steadfast, immovable, always excelling in the Lord's work, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. You know, when I hear the way he tells us that that we can live our lives free of doubt, and the way we can do that is to be steadfast. Right? I I want you to think about the word doubt. You know, that's our whole point today. Our our whole point is that the resurrection frees us from doubt. And, and, And listen, it frees us from doubt, but doubt means to waver, right? If you have that line of faith that goes across... And, and sometimes we have, you know, a lot of faith and sometimes our faith goes down. We have unbelief. We have doubt in our lives. But the answer is right here in 1558. He's telling us that we can remove the doubt by being steadfast. Amen. Right? He's telling us right here. It makes me think about football. And listen, whenever I played football all through my childhood, I never got to touch the ball. I always was on the line. I, I was. I never got glory. I never got to touch throw the long pass, I never got to catch the long pass, I never got to make a touchdown, I was always the guy that was standing in front of the guy in front of me, and my job was to be steadfast, 
right, that I was either going to keep this guy in front of me, no matter what, I had to push him or be pushed, right? I was either going to push or be pushed. I needed to be steadfast. If I was on defense, my job was to push that guy out of the way and to get to the guy with the ball. But either way, my job was to be steadfast, right? And, And that's what he's trying to tell us. That listen, we have got to be steadfast. It is possible, according to Scripture, for us to to link together faith to faith to faith to faith. Right? He's trying to show it to us right here. He's he's telling us to be steadfast. That the resurrection of Jesus shows us what the prize is. That we need to keep our eye on the prize. And we need to not hear from the enemy that we need to be steadfast in the Scripture. That we need to be steadfast fast in our faith. The next word, secondly, the word immovable, connects back to the beginning of the chapter that we were reading in when he wrote that the Corinthians had taken their stand on the firm foundation of the gospel. Right? We read that just a few minutes ago in the very first few verses of chapter 15. He says, this is the, the gospel I preached to you. This is the stand. This is the foundation that you believed on. You can't, go, you can't veer out of that lane. That you had to stay inside. You've got to be immovable. Do you see it? He's saying, therefore, dear brothers and sisters, be steadfast. Let nothing move you. That's what the NIV says. Let nothing move move you. In this CSB it says immovable. It says every aspect of our lives is to be centered on the truth of the gospel. Just like Jesus. He, he, he modeled life for us and every aspect of our lives is, is, is to be centered on the truth of the gospel. Here's another thing that you may want to take with you and that is that the gospel is not just what offers salvation. It's what continues the process of salvation until Christ's return. The technical term for that is sanctification. We talked about that this morning, didn't we, Bob? That the gospel is not just for the salvation. It's the continuation of the process of salvation. That we never actually get there. And that's what, in order for us to strain faith to faith to faith to faith, We've got to be steadfast. We've got to be immovable. We've got to stay in between the lines, right? And we've got to remove the doubt in our lives. We are to be abound in the work of the Lord. That's that's what it means when when we are to imitate the things that we read about that Jesus said and that he did and that are recorded in the Gospels. Just like Jesus, it says, let's say it says immovable, always excelling in the work of the Lord, right? Always giving yourselves fully to the work of the Lord. And then he, he finishes chapter 15 by saying, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Amen. I want to stop there just for a minute. This is free of charge. But I want you, I, I, I want you to go back. Right, this, I didn't write this down. What he does, what he's laughing at me. But I didn't write this down, but it's true. And I want to share this with you. That, that Listen, if you look back, there is nothing truer than that statement. Because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. 
Right? When you look back and you see, listen, you may prepare a message and nobody shows up to hear it. You may prepare for Sunday school and nobody comes. You know, you may do things in your life. You may share the gospel and people don't get saved. But you know what? The message might be for you. You know, sometimes whenever we're whenever we are preparing those things and we're in the Lord's Word and we think we're here to, to help somebody else, we're here to share the gospel with somebody else. But listen, the real truth is that we needed that message, right? We're we're trying to be steadfast. We're trying to be immovable. We're trying to stay in between the lines. And listen, that's where you that's how you do it. You stay in the Word. You stay in the Lord's work. Always giving yourself fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. That's the only way that we'll be immovable. That's the only way that we'll continue to be steadfast. We've got to continue doing the Lord's work. There's nobody in here that if you've done the Lord's work wouldn't say amen to that. You know that it's true. We've got to continue to be in the Lord's work and that's how we will succeed in removing doubt in our lives. The reason why we know that such kingdom work is not in vain is connected to the main theme of chapter 15. We serve a living Savior who will be faithful to his promise to give us resurrected bodies and life in the age to come. You see it? That, that's why. The reason why we do that, the reason why we, we serve the kingdom and we know it's not in vain is because we serve a living Savior. Jesus was resurrected. He is alive and well, and it will be fully consummated whenever he comes again. And we live in that promise that we will have our glorified bodies. I don't know about y'all, but I'm looking forward to mine. We will have our glorified body and life in the age to come. You know, God does things in our life. You know, that First Corinthians fifteen fifty eight has always been one of my favorite verses. But God does things in our life. And it's, it, it, listen, I know for sure it's ordained that he does these things. He puts these things together. And this week as I was preparing this message, as I was reading about how important, uh, you know, our lives are whenever uh, the doubt in our lives needs to be removed, the, the victory, the truth of the resurrection removes the doubt in our lives. As I was looking at that truth and I was chewing that up and I was reading about how awful and corrupt our bodies are and how glorified our bodies will be, you know, I was reading about all that. But listen, as I was studying and, 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 and meditating on this word, y'all, I, I, I read two different authors. Two different books, two different studies, but in one of them I was reading this week about, uh, uh, Billy Graham was the author of this one, and Billy Graham was writing about these weeds in our lives, and, and listen, I don't know about y'all, but you, you, may, you may weed your garden, right, you may, you may pull the weeds out of your landscape, and you may pull the weeds, right, a, a, out of your grass, and you think you pulled all that weed out, right? And you think you got it. But then you ever went back and that weed is there again, right? You thought you got it all the way to the root, right? But listen, sometimes you go back and that, that, there that weed is again. But listen, it might even be bigger than it was. It's like, man, I thought I just pulled that out of there. And then here it is again. It's only a week and a half ago, right? 
but, but listen, Reverend Graham, he, he, he was talking about those weeds. But listen to this, the weeds in our life, it's like, you know, 2 Corinthians 5, 17, that therefore if anyone is in Christ, is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. Right? It says that, that supposedly when we give our lives to Christ, when we put our faith in the resurrection, it's supposed to remove all the doubt in our lives. That's what the message is today, right? That's what the message is. But these weeds, they grow back up in our lives, and then the, and then the enemy comes in and he starts to play his game where he says, you know what, maybe you're not who you say you are. Maybe you're not a new creation. Listen, I'm, I'm preaching to myself because we have these things that come back up inside of us, right? The, the, the weeds that we thought were gone, it's like, whoa, where did that come from? You know, that thought, right, that angry moment, right, that reaction, the words that come out of our mouths. Right, we have these things that boil up in us, and we think, man, that old guy's gone. But, but listen, then the enemy says, well, maybe you're not. Maybe you don't belong to Christ. Maybe you're not a new creation. But that's his game. See, he wants to create doubt on that line. He wants us to fall below that line. He doesn't want us to strain together faith to faith to faith. He wants us to go faith, doubt, faith, doubt, doubt, faith. Listen, that's what that's his game. He wants those weeds to grow back. So that so the listen, I was reading another author this week. And I when I was reading it, listen to this. The, the title to this was was It Hurts to Be Right. And that's just like from faith to faith, it's foreign. It's like, what? It hurts to be right. I always like being right. I don't know about y'all, but you know, it don't it don't seem like it hurts to be right. You know, who everybody likes to be right. But listen, in this whole world, it hurts to be right. And you might say, Pastor, I don't understand what you mean. What do you mean it hurts to be right? And what I mean is that when we follow Christ, right, whenever we say, you know what, we're going to do the right thing, we're going to be steadfast, we're going to be immovable, we're going to stay in between the lines, right? It it, it hurts. It hurts. And I could go on forever about all the ways it hurts, but I'm going to tell you one way is, way is that we're persecuted. It's guaranteed if you live and you're steadfast, it, you know, Peter teaches us in 1 Peter that, listen, that everyone who believes will be persecuted. It's going to happen. It hurts to be right. There's another way that it hurts to be right. It hurts in what we value. You know, it used to be, man, I, and I can remember whenever I first gave my life, or not, not I'd already given my life to Christ, but when I first surrendered everything, and I said, you know what, I'm no longer going to drink, I'm no longer going to hang out with the guys who do, I am going to remove myself from that, it hurt to be right. Right, I mean, the, the, it, it, those guys would call and they'd say things like, well, Brad, just come on down here, you don't have to drink. Right, you don't, you don't, have, you don't have to, you just hang out. But it hurt to be right because, listen, my wants and my have-tos change. Right? Whenever, whenever I decided I was going to be steadfast and I was going to be immovable, it hurt to be right. My wants and my have-tos change. My values change. I don't know about y'all, but listen, it hurts to be right because sometimes that includes us changing our environments. Right, just like in guys and in bars. I didn't I couldn't go to those places anymore, right? But listen, sometimes it could be the people we hang out with. Right? In order for us to be steadfast, the enemy uses those people in our lives, and sometimes those people can be toxic. You know, the places that we hang out at, the environments that we are that we're in. Listen, it, it might be the people that we hang out with, it might be the places that we go, and listen to this, it could be the websites that you visit. 
I, you know, I don't, I don't know uh, what everybody's environments are, but it hurts to be right. And sometimes we need to remove ourselves from that. Another way it hurts to be right is that, listen, sometimes our relationships need to change. In order for us to be steadfast and immovable, in order for us to remove the doubt in our lives, I might get right in your grill right here. Sometimes we're going to be the enemy of our own families, in our own households. It's like, you know what, family? We may not should be watching that. We, we may not should be listening to that. Right? We, 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 listen, if we're going to be steadfast and immovable, if we're going to remove the doubt from our lives, then sometimes it hurts to be right. We're going to, we're going to have to change some of our relationships, some of our friendships. We've got to keep in weeds from keeping to coming back in our lives. Them weeds want to grow back. But we're trying to be steadfast and immovable. We're trying to remove the doubt in our lives. We're trying to get to where Jesus is with that glorified body. Amen? Amen. There's another one too. I, listen, I just want to be honest right here, and this is so true. The, the last way that I want to tell you that it hurts to be right, and there's a many of them, and I could go on until this evening. We could just go straight through, but I, we won't do that. The, the, the last way it hurts to be right is that sometimes we suffer and life just hurts. I'm going to go ahead and tell you, sometimes, y'all, this life is messy. Man, I'm going to tell you what, life hurts. And it hurts to be right. And, when, and listen, whenever those two combine, the enemy turns up the volume, buddy. Right, when it hurts to be right, you're trying to be steadfast, you're trying to be immovable. Right, you're trying to be right there, but then on top of that, then life hurts on top of that. When, it, when life hurts, that's when the devil turns up the volume, and that's when he gets you, right? He, he wants to crumple you. He wants to push you down. He wants to push right by you. He wants to disarm you from your faith. When life gets tough, that's whenever he usually succeeds. But I'm here to tell you that, listen, we, we can receive the gift that God has for us, that we put our, our faith in Jesus, right? When we, whenever we, we, we keep our eyes on Jesus, that we follow his example in life, that we string together faith to faith to faith. And listen, it's possible. Don't let the, the devil lie to you. Don't let him give you doubt. Don't let him tell you that you need to doubt. That's not true. That's not biblical. We can inherit the kingdom of God and we can inherit all the things uh, that, that our glorified bodies will have, the glory and the power and the spiritualness that our bodies will, will have. And it tells us in 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty eight how to get there. He tells us that we must be steadfast. He says, therefore, and listen, he don't, I love it too. And look, God has a purpose. He, he starts and he says, therefore, brothers and sisters, that's everybody, everybody, therefore, brothers and sisters, stand firm, that's what it says in the, in the NIV, be steadfast, let nothing move you, 
Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. That's the number one way that you'll be, you'll be successful is to be steadfast. I'm going to give you two more that you need to jot down and we'll get out of here. The first one is be joyful. Be happy. Right? When it hurts to be right, when it hurts to be right, be joyful. You're like, Pastor, you ain't even making any sense right now. <laughs> and listen, let me tell you why. Let me tell you why that we're to be joyful in 1 Peter in chapter 4 in verse 13. 1 Peter in chapter 4 in verse, in verse 13. He says, instead, rejoice as you share in the sufferings of Christ. So that you may also rejoice with great joy when his glory is revealed. Right? When, when we get our resurrected body, when his glory is revealed, when, when heaven and earth are combined, we will also rejoice with great joy. Peter says also that, that we should count it as a blessing to suffer as Christ suffered. That we should count it a blessing to suffer as Christ suffered. So when it hurts to be right, we need to be steadfast, but also we need to be happy. We need to be joyful because it's a privilege to suffer as Christ suffered. He modeled it for us. It's possible. Faith to faith to faith. And the last one is, you need to write it down. Look to Jesus and the resurrection. Look to Jesus and the resurrection. If you want to let freedom reign, there is no better freedom than that. To understand that, listen, this ain't our home. All the stuff that we have ain't ours. Right? It changes the way that we rest. It changes the way that we live. It changes the way that we view death. It changes everything. It's a life changer. It's permanent. Right? We, get, we need to look to Jesus. We need to look to his life, but we also need to look at his death. He modeled both for us. And I can't wait for my glorified body. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus, if you don't have a relationship with him, as we, I'm going to pray, and as we continue to sing, if you don't know what it means to have freedom in Christ... I know that everybody in this room knows about doubt. There's not one of us that would be omitted from doubt. But if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I'd love for you to come forward today.